Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 62 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Lyme Taught Me to Validate Every Patient, an interview with Dr. Lindsay Vouse. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Today's podcast guest is Dr. Lindsay Vouse. Dr. Vouse is a 24-year-old woman from Enfield, Connecticut. She graduated from Quinnipiac University in May, where she earned her doctorate in physical therapy. In 2013, during her freshman year in college, Lindsay Vouse began to exhibit symptoms of a tick disease. She went from being a very active person running in marathons to not being able to run a single mile. She also developed food sensitivities, swelling in her joints, and brain fog that made it difficult for her to study for exams. Dr. Vouse knew something wasn't right and saw doctor after doctor until her mom, a nurse, recommended that she visit a naturopath. There, she tested positive for Lyme disease. Since then, Dr. Vouse has been on a journey to listen to her body and find a treatment protocol that works for her. Lindsay Vouse's personal Lyme disease journey is something that she knows will shape the rest of her career, as she now makes it a point to listen to and validate her patients, no matter how big or small their pain, which ultimately allows her to form a deeper connection with each of her patients. Hey, Dr. Lindsay Vouse, and welcome to our program. Hi, Richard Matt. Thanks for having me. We'd like to talk to you a little bit about what your life was like before you were diagnosed with Lyme disease. Can you share with us where you grew up and what your life was like as a child? Yeah, so I'm 24 years old. I grew up in Enfield, Connecticut. I grew up playing sports, ice hockey. That was a big thing in my family. I grew up playing all kinds of sports, soccer, running. Running was also another big thing but we were always active. We were really close family. We went to all each other's games and also school was really important. Um, my parents always made it a priority, but I always loved school and, you know, it was a motivation to go to school and play sports. And that was kind of really, really our, our life before that. So Lindsay, where did you go to high school? Um, I went to Fermi high school. So have you lived your entire life in Enfield, Connecticut? Yeah. And after you graduated from high school, did you go on to college? I did. I uh, went to Quinnipiac University in Hamden, Connecticut, and I entered as a freshman into the Department of Physical Therapy doctorate program. And why did you decide to go to Quinnipiac University? What was your goal when you applied to and ultimately went to Quinnipiac? So my ultimate goal was to go to school for physical therapy. And at the time when I was applying to colleges, you had to get your doctorate. And they were there were multiple schools either in Connecticut and Massachusetts that I applied to that had a doctorate program where you went undergrad for three or four years in the school and then you went right into grad school. And Quinnipiac was the school that ultimately gave me the most money and that I got in. So I also loved their facility. They had a brand new medical school that they were still in the middle of building, but finished by the time I got to grad school. And their professors, their program was just very focused on building all around good clinicians. So it's my understanding that you went through an accelerated program where you spent three years as an undergraduate, and then you went on to your graduate work and completed your PhD, or is it, is it a PDT? What is, the, what is the name of the doctorate that you had gotten after uh, six years? So yeah, I went on undergrad for three years. So I, I took some classes in the summer just to accelerate it. 
so I didn't have to spend the four years in undergrad. And then in grad school, after three years, you get a doctorate of physical therapy. You could, if you do extra schooling, you get a PhD. But in terms of just graduating from that six-year program, it's a doctorate of physical therapy. That is the degree that you graduated with after six years at Quinnipiac? Correct. Now, Lindsay, are you currently working? I am. Right now, I am working at a outpatient clinic in um, Farmington, Connecticut. And right now, I'm only working part-time because I'm also studying for my board's exam. So I, physical therapists have to take a certification board's exam to get their full license in whatever state that they're practicing in. And mine is coming up on October 24th. So I'm kind of just grinding through, but I'm also working at the same time. So my days off are spent studying and then I'm at the clinic the other days and I absolutely love it. I have almost a full caseload now and it's only been a couple months since I've been out of school because I graduated um, in May and I, I'm just absolutely loving it. And I've definitely entered the field of work that I was meant to work in. So Lindsay, when did you first begin to exhibit the symptoms of your tick disease? My story that I start with is I say that I started having the symptoms around when I was 17 years old when in 2013 when I entered Quinnipiac University as a freshman. It wasn't really clear because my symptoms started to gradually get worse and kind of build on top of each other. And prior to going to Quinnipiac, I had been diagnosed with celiac disease uh, when I was 10 or 11 years old. And I'd always had some gastrointestinal issues, digestion. I had a lot of food allergies, gluten due to the celiac disease, but also dairy and eggs and some other oils and just some very high histamine foods that were causing some really bad digestion issues. Um, and I had kind of gotten that, those kinds of things under control with a good diet in high school. But then going into college, I started getting really, really hypersensitive allergies. My digestion started to get really, really bad, but I was a avid runner and I would run miles, five miles at least, sometimes 10 miles, but I was running every day and my knees were really, really swelling up. I could tell my legs were really swelling up and my joints started to hurt. And I almost felt like I was, you know, getting some like arthritis, but I was also only 17. And I also started to get some weird other symptoms. Like I had a kidney stone um, when I was at school. I actually had to get rushed to the hospital and meet my mom there. And it was like a big thing. And But like they never thought that it would be a kidney stone because I was also 17 years old. So it kind of showed that my kidneys started to have some issues. And then in 2014, I ran a marathon. And that was kind of like one of the goals that I had. I had trained all summer. And I was really starting to have a lot of more joint issues. But I was kind of running through them. And, you know, I would just ice my knees when I would get back from a run. Um, and that was just kind of what I had to deal with. And I noticed some swelling behind my knees. And I went to the doctor, um, an orthopedic surgeon, and he diagnosed me with Baker's cysts, with, which are just like fluid filled cysts within the knees. 
and usually they will either drain them or take them out. But since it was bilateral, the doctor just had told me it's systemic. There's something else causing it. I can't touch them. I'm not going to do anything for them. You just have to deal with it. And that really was discouraging. And then a couple months later after my marathon, my knees were so bad. And then I started not being able to even run a mile because I would have to go to the bathroom right away. And that's not something that you want to, you know, project to the world. I, um, I started having like all these like, you know, digestion, really, really bad, serious things. And I was on such a healthy diet. There was nothing. I was just trying to figure out what was causing it. But then I ended up not being able to run. And I was like, you know what, maybe I just overdid it with the marathon and I just need to calm down and take a rest from running. So I stopped, you know, running, which was really hard on myself because running was such an outlet for me. And I loved working out. I was always an active person my whole life. So giving that up and I wasn't really playing hockey at school either. So I was really trying to find exercise that I could do, but I could also feel that my body was just kind of declining and fighting against me. And I also, in the dorms at Quinnipiac, I found myself always feeling like I had some kind of cold. Like my nose was always running, my throat hurt all the time. I remember always having Hall's menthol throat lozenges at my bed. Like I always had to have them because I was like always having sore throat and, you know, having like chills and kind of feeling like I had a fever, but like feeling sick, but like not sick enough to like go and get tested. I'm like, oh, it's just the cold and the dorms are just really stuffy. I'm living with a bunch of people. I have to, you know, communal showers. Like I just need to take a lot of vitamin C and every single spring break at Quinnipiac in 2014, 2015, 2016, I got the flu. It was spring break, so I went home. I would get the flu. I'd be really, really sick, and um, I would get into pneumonia. And but then I would, you know, get better. But I would be like bedridden. I was. I would be on my nebulizer treatment. But it happened every single year. It would just happen, and I, I would try to prevent it as much as I could. But that was just kind of strange. It, that never had happened to me when I was younger. I never had the flu when I was younger. That's a really good point I'd like to explore with you. I'd like to walk back to your childhood for a minute. Connecticut, of course, is a place where there is a lot of ticks. And I'm wondering if you could share with our listeners whether or not uh, you were tick aware as a child. So I don't remember ever being bit by a tick when I was a child. However, my parents were very, specifically my dad, was very, very aware of ticks. He loved hiking. We would go to Cape Cod every single summer to vacation because we had a house there. And we loved hiking as a family. And I remember my dad would always make us wear our ugly high white socks and cover our legs. We would spray ourselves deep before we went on the trails. We would go back and we would check ourselves for ticks. We would shower. And they made it aware of the tick, but I guess we never really discussed like what you do after you find the tick. All I knew about it was that you find it, you go to the doctor, you tell them you have the tick and they put you on antibiotics for a couple weeks and that was it. Prior to going to Quinnipiac, I never had realized that I ever got bit. 
Now, Lindsay, I understand that your illness began to progress more aggressively when you were at Quinnipiac. Do you recall ever being bitten by a tick when you were either hiking at Quinnipiac or running at Quinnipiac? And were you still doing tick checks when you went to college? I definitely still did tick checks when I was at college. And Quinnipiac is right across the street from a huge hiking mountain, uh, Sleeping Giant. And we would hike it probably every day. There are so many different trails. We would have classes up there. We would be, you know, in the dirt, in the trees. And I was aware of the ticks, but I never really took a lot of preventative measures. I mean, as a college student, we didn't really wear, I mean, I didn't have the bug spray in my dorm, but I'm always a person who gets bit by mosquitoes, like bug bites all the time. Like if we go anywhere, like I'm always getting bit by bugs and nobody else is like I'll get five or six on my legs and everybody nobody's like oh no I didn't even know there were mosquitoes or bug bites and I'll get them on my legs and I do remember in it was right when I moved in to Quinnipiac probably like first week um, I remember getting bit on my knee like right on the side of my knee I thought it was a mosquito bite and it acted like a mosquito bite it was itchy it was I didn't, there was no bullseye rash, but it was itchy and it would like really, really persistent itchy and it like wouldn't go away. And then it became like this ball of like, kind of like scar tissue and it turned kind of dark color. And it's like, it was like a kind of like a brown and, but I never really thought anything of it. I was just like, oh, I, it was a bug bite. I itched it too much. And that was it. And then it was kind of growing a little bit and it was, I mean, it was probably half the size of a dime, but I really started to notice it because I would cut it when I would shave and it would like bleed. And I'm like, but you know, there was nothing. And I showed it to my doctor, nothing. Yeah, it's fine. It was just a bug bite, whatever. And then I kind of just ignored it. And then in, of course this was, I go through Quinnipiac and I was 23 and I was, I had my full blown symptoms of everything, um, but I was not yet diagnosed with Lyme. So talk to us about how your symptoms began to develop. My major symptom is my gastrointestinal symptoms in terms of food sensitivity. I started to get really, 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 really sensitive to pretty much all kinds of foods. I was on a gluten-free, dairy-free, egg-free diet at Quinnipiac and I brought my own food and I could not eat in the dining hall. I couldn't eat even the salad bar from the dining hall because it was all cross-contaminated, even though they said it was gluten-free or whatever, but you would find, you know, breadcrumbs and chicken fingers in the stuff. And I just started having really, really severe reactions, even when I would even just touch anything that I was allergic to, whether it was bread, I would break out in hives in my hand. Um, or even having any nuts near me. I'm allergic to all nuts, peanuts. And then even when I was on this strict diet that where I was making my own meals and things like that um, and eating very healthy, like vegetables, clean, I started getting weird reactions to different like oils. Like I couldn't have olive oil and different foods like corn started to really cause reactions in my mouth. I would get 
cold sores in my lips, on my tongue. And even now I know when I get contaminated with anything, that those are the first things that come up are like my uh, reactions in my mouth. And then my digestion was really bad. So I was going to see a lot of different endo doctors, GI, and then I also was developing joint symptoms. So I had a lot of joint swelling in my knees, in my feet, my legs would swell, um, my hips would hurt. I would have weird muscle spasms, weird muscle twitching. I also had chronic migraines all the time. My vision kind of started, I would get uh, floaters in my vision. I would get I started to get some kind of like memory loss where I noticed studying for exams weren't as easy as they used to be. And I would kind of get foggy. And then I also kind of towards when it started getting really serious, I I started getting night sweats and burning pain in my legs and this like nerve numbness in my legs and a lot of atrophy in my muscles. And I had been losing a lot of weight from both the digestion issues and me now I couldn't work out because I was just in pain all the time very fatigued and yes I was stressed at school but all of these symptoms were kind of just all adding up. So Lindsay you started with celiac disease when you were 11 or 12 but then when you went to college in 2013-14 you were getting really really worse food allergies aside from gluten and so much so where if somebody who touched bread touched you, you would have hives just from them touching you after they had eaten a slice of bread. And then your symptoms developed even worse into having severe migraines and other physical symptoms in addition to your GI symptoms. What were all of your various doctors saying throughout your college career? What was the root cause of these symptoms? Well, I had various doctors telling me what they thought was causing that one specific symptom. And honestly, looking back, I don't think any of them really knew what was going on. And they just kind of gave it their best guess, but never really told me that they didn't know. I had seen at least four different gastroenterologists around Connecticut. And I even went into Boston because they weren't giving me answers. A couple gastroenterologists were telling me they did multiple endoscopies, colonoscopies, on me and they really thought I had Crohn's, but they just said, oh, you have colitis um, because they found some bleeding in my intestines. Oh, it's IBS. Oh, it's IBS-C, constipation. And then it would be IB, IBS-C with diarrhea. And, but they, they were kind of just naming these things. And I went to Boston to see one of the top gastroenterology places and he couldn't even give me an answer. He thought I had lupus. He was doing all of these other tests on me, and he thought, oh, you have SIBO with the bacterial overgrowth. And then they started changing my diet more of low FODMAP and low histamine and low fiber for easier digestion. And I went to an orthopedist for my knees, and he was saying I had Baker's cyst, but didn't know why, what it was causing, and he wasn't going to touch them because he thought it was systemic. My primary care physician, who was my pediatrician growing up, so he knew me from when I was a baby, he told me that I had, it was in my head and 
I had anorexia and I was choosing to have this pain and it was because of stress and he gave me anti-anxiety meds that I took once and made me go crazy. Um, he said I had chronic fatigue syndrome. So it was pretty much all these doctors naming these things, just naming my symptoms. And yeah, maybe I did. Those were accurate diagnoses. However, there was nobody could tell me what they were going to do for them. I remember coming back from doctor's appointments with my mom and in the car, they were, we were like, okay, they gave us this, but what are they going to do for it? Nothing. I would tell them that I had muscle twitching and they would ignore me. I told them I had nerve pain and they wouldn't even touch upon that. I think what you're describing here is very typical for the Lyme patient where you go to various specialists and they hone in on a particular subset of your symptoms and they diagnose you based on that subset but that diagnosis doesn't include your other symptoms. So for example, you were being diagnosed with GI related issues, which had nothing to do with other symptoms you had like your migraines and brain fog and nerve pain and night sweats. So you were really being pigeonholed into these illnesses that fit into the criteria of these specialists, but none of them really made any sense. And then you realize that this is not the right diagnosis and kept pushing forward for a proper diagnosis, it sounds like. Yeah, correct. Another key point I want to touch on is you were on antibiotics twice before you got diagnosed with Lyme eventually for various other diagnoses that you received before Lyme. Did you feel better or worse with those antibiotics? Because we know certain antibiotics will help treat Lyme, but they can also cause Herx reactions. So I want to understand how those antibiotics affected you pre-Lyme or pre-Lyme diagnosis, and if you think they had any impact on your overall Lyme disease. Yeah, so in 2015, one of the GI doctors thought I had SIBO, and one of the treatments for it is putting you on Flagyl, which is an antibiotic, and I remember going on it. I remember getting the diagnosis and being so excited, being like, okay, this is going to work. I went on the antibiotic, and I felt worse for the two weeks. It didn't really help me, and the doctor, he was like, oh, I guess you don't have it. And he took me off of it. And I, we honestly never went back to thinking, oh, you know, that it had any impact or that was anything to do with, you know, anything else, except that we did research SIBO and that you can treat it with other antibiotics. And the doctor just didn't want to put me on them. And he didn't really do his due diligence, I guess. And then in 2017, I had an MRI done with dye to look at my intestines, and um, I had an allergic reaction to the dye, and then it ended up being admitted to the hospital, and they found that there was some air pockets in my intestines, and the way you treat it is by putting you on an antibiotic and giving you oxygen, and I was in the hospital almost over Christmas, but I started to feel better on that antibiotic. And all of a sudden, my stomach didn't hurt like it did before. And I came home for Christmas. And I remember having my protein shake that I knew was safe for me to eat. And I was feeling better on it. And the doctor was like, okay, we're going to keep you on it. You know, we'll keep you on it for a couple months. I don't think he actually knew why. I was feeling better. He was just like, okay, we found something. And then after two months, I remember being at school and starting to get severe nausea and throwing up at school every day. And I was like, oh God, I need, I think it's this antibiotic. I need to get off of it. I've been on it for too long. And I called the doctor and he took me off of it. And then 
all of my symptoms came back and I feel came back worse. So do you think these antibiotics were killing off the bacteria and, and causing them to go hide, but yet when you went off the antibiotics, they then thrived and started to come back out and replicate and make you so much worse after the fact? Yes, and that's kind of how I see antibiotics right now is that they will kill off what they can, but they also kill off the good and the bad. And my immune system was already so terrible at that. It was so weak that the antibiotics were killing both the bad bacteria and the diseases and then also my own immune system. So that when, and then when I went off of them, I was like left with nothing to protect myself and my immune system just could not recover from it. And all of the diseases and anything else, like viruses just in the community, I was just so overwhelmed. I got so much more sicker because I was left so vulnerable because my immune system had been pretty much destroyed. And Lindsay, one, one other thing I want to touch on. So shortly after that, after your, your stint with antibiotics, you felt better, you went <laughs> off, and then you felt so much worse, as we just discussed. You then had another doctor who thought you had lupus because they found very high ANA levels in your blood work, which are indicative of nonspecific autoimmune dysfunction, but you didn't have a positive lupus test. So can you walk us through that and what that doctor thought was going on with you? So, yep, it was actually the doctor that I had seen in Boston, and he had run a bunch of blood tests, and the only thing that came back was that I had an extremely high ANA which like you said was not, is non-specific and I remember getting the news and I was like vigorously trying to research what that meant and um, I was like oh this could be lupus you know um, and I remember talking to him and he was like yep we're going to do more specific testing for lupus and other immune things and then the test came back negative for lupus and he was like he didn't even know what to say. I'm not even sure if he even gave me a personal phone call. I think I got a phone call from the office, from the doctor's office that said, nope, all your tests came back negative. And he pretty much just left me high and dry. And that's when we did not go back to him because I had this positive test and they couldn't tell me what it meant. So Lindsay, I think that that's a really important point. We've done over 60 podcasts and you're the first guest who I've talked about this very high ANA level for nonspecific autoimmune. And I myself had that as well and went through this sort of troublesome period where the doctors didn't know what was going on. And I think that's just really another side effect of the Lyme where you're having these high ANA titers and they can't figure out what specifically is causing it in the autoimmune world and doctors just sort of are at a loss. So that's another indicator to think Lyme, I think, for our listeners if they have an experience like that. But ultimately, you landed your Lyme disease diagnosis now shortly after that. So can you walk us through what doctor diagnosed you and how you felt when you realized you finally had Lyme disease? Yeah. So, of course, I'm going to give it all to my mom. My mom's a nurse, and she works with patients all day. And she has been the forefront of me trying to find doctors and trying to find answers. And if one doesn't work, we're going to the next one. We're going to find answers. And one patient told her about this holistic naturopath that they were seeing and he helped them, you know, heal holistically. And I'm not really sure what they had, but my mom was like, there is this holistic doctor in West Hartford and I want you to go see him. It can't hurt. 
maybe he can put a new view on what's going on with you because really we were at our wit's end because I just became so desperate as many people struggling with Lyme and other illnesses do. You just become so desperate, you'll do anything. And I remember walking into the office and he listened to me for five minutes explain my slew of symptoms. And he was like, I think you have Lyme. We're going to do some testing. And of course, none of it's covered by insurance, but I'm very, very, very lucky to have um, the support that I do for my family to be able to go to these doctors and get the testing that I needed. Um, And all I know is it wasn't the normal, regular blood test that they do at the doctor's office that they would do for Lyme because I had previously had been tested for Lyme in my pediatrician's office probably a year or two ago, and it was negative. And I had told this naturopath that I had said, oh, no, I'm negative for Lyme. And he was like, no, 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 you haven't done the right blood test. It's going to take a very long time to get the answers, but, you know, you have to wait a couple weeks. But when it did come back, I had six out of the 10 bands positive. And I remember he had called me and said, come back in. We have your results of your test. And he didn't give me any information about what the test results were. And I walked into his office and he, he's like, the first thing I want to show you is this is your packet of all the blood tests that we did. And you are positive for Lyme. And I remember him kind of continuing on and saying some other things. And I was just like breaking down in tears because I was just so happy that I had found an answer. And it was, I'll I'll never forget the day that he, you know, diagnosed me because I was like, okay, oh my God, I found an answer. Like, I'm not crazy. This is real. But he was not a naturopath that had a lot of experience treating Lyme and he wasn't really sure of how to treat it. He knew that he could do it through herbs or that you could do it through antibiotics. And he had asked me my preference and I was like, oh, I need to go and talk to my mom because I have no idea what I'm going to do now. I'm, you know, I was so overwhelmed. Um, And I remember going back to my mom and we talked about it and I wanted to do the herbal route and I wanted to start treatment right away. And he started me on some basic herbs. Um, He had like this proprietary blend that he had gotten from a company and it immediately started working. I felt a lot better and I say a lot better. Just some of my symptoms were going away. I was able to like function during the day. And then I had met one of my professors actually at Quinnipiac who I found out also had chronic Lyme and she was seeing she had been seeing a naturopath uh, for five years and she was finally healed. She was kind of back to her normal from prior five years ago, but she had the same kind of symptoms as me. And I remember kind of connecting with her and I was kind of looking for another doctor to like, really, I need, I knew I needed more Lyme treatment because this naturopath that had diagnosed me, he was just not as experienced as I wanted and this other guy, this other Lyme doctor, I ended up seeing him and now he is my primary and I have made huge strides with him and we take, it's all herbal. I'm going to sort of recap and fast forward for a second. So when you first got your diagnosis, not only did you have Lyme disease, 
but you also had Epstein-Barr, Ehrlichia, Bartonella, Babesia, and mold toxicities. You had a lot of things you had to start attacking and peeling away that onion to get you better layer by layer. And your first naturopath helped a little bit, but was sort of, uh, I'd say, in, a little inexperienced in the Lyme world. You found another naturopathic doctor through a professor at Quinnipiac and then started a new herbal protocol while also focusing on detoxing. And the herbs, of course, were focusing on strengthening your immune system, killing off the bacteria, and also breaking down that biofilm or that, that sludge that sort of protects the bacteria. But what I'm more interested to know about is what type of detox protocols were you on while you were killing off all these toxins that you had in your body? Clearly, you had many, many toxins. Yeah. And one of the things this naturopath that I see now, his main focus is focusing on first detoxing the body, building up the immune system, and then killing the bugs. Because if you don't do it in that order, you kill the bugs and then you're, you can't detox and then you get a battery hurt and it's just a downward spiral from there. But a lot of my detox was helping my own body detox. So your liver, your kidneys, and your lymph are like main places in your body that help to filter out any toxins in your body. And my liver enzymes were high. I knew my liver was not working at full capacity. I knew my kidneys were very, very taxed because I was getting kidney stones all the time. And then obviously my digestion system was not very good. So I needed to build that up, but I take detox supplements. So I make sure that I'm on magnesium, milk thistle, NAC. So I tried Epsom salt baths. However, I have found that I'm very, very sensitive to heat and it flares up my symptoms, especially my knees and my whole like legs will just swell up and I end up not being able to walk or use my muscles. Um, so any heat and even like infrared saunas, I cannot use because my symptoms just flare up so bad that it's not even worth it for me. And I'm not really sure what that is because I know a lot of people find that that really helps them detox, but I cannot sweat. It's not that I physically can't, is if I do, I will be so much worse off. So I've really only focused on taking herbs for my detox and then dry brushing and that's been it. But I've, I've tried a lot of different, like the more typical detox things um, that other people try, but I can't, I can't do any of the heat. So Lindsay, I think that's an important note. And, and thank you for sharing that because many of our guests do have success with infrared saunas and heat therapies, but there are a subset of our guests and, and limeys that are heat intolerant and they can't get those treatments because they do cause flare. So that's an important note for our listeners that you may or may not have success with infrared saunas and other types of heat related therapies. And you had also done one last treatment I want to discuss is the Rife treatment and the Rife machine. So can you talk to us about how that helped you with your treatment? Yeah. So in the naturopath's office that I see now, it's actually two naturopaths that work there. And one of them solely does rife treatments. So she does a diagnostic rife on you prior. So I'm not you know, sure if the listeners know what exactly rife is. And honestly, I'm not the greatest at explaining what rife is because it can be kind of confusing. But 
really what it is, is it's finding the frequencies that the bacteria and organisms in your body resonate at, and then hitting those specific frequencies that they find and killing the bacteria and pretty much vibrating the bacteria at the specific frequencies that they die at in your tissue. And it doesn't work for everybody. However, I go and get a rice treatment every other month that I'm there. And she will first do a diagnostic on me. And so she finds the highest levels of the specific organisms or diseases that's going on, whether it's my Ehrlichia that's really high or my Bartonella or my Babesia or the Lyme. And she'll say, it's very high. This is really high. We're going to hit this really hard. But then she also in the rice treatment can put different settings of uh, lymphatic drainage and liver support, which really helps to prevent that severe Herx reaction that happens after it because you get this huge, huge die-off of these organisms because it's getting into the tissues where medications and herbs don't necessarily go or cause right away. And you're getting this immediate die-off from all these organisms. And my first rice treatment was very, I had a really, really bad Herx afterward, but I absolutely love my doctors because she does such a great job at, you know, finding what's going on in my life. Like, can you take this really bad Herx reaction right now? Or should we just hit it a little bit? Or do you feel like you're strong enough that we can hit it really hard and I'll give you some really good detox and we go over, you know, what I'm going to do, how to prevent it and things like that. So it's really so personalized. And if they found that I wasn't having a positive outcome from it, we wouldn't do it. And they always say to me, not all the patients get right because not everybody needs it. So it's definitely one of those things that if it works for you, that's great. You should do it. Um, but if it doesn't, that's okay. You can find something else that works. So Lizzie, I have to ask, you've been on treatment now for over a year with your naturopath. How are you feeling today? I will say progress is very, very slow, and I've had to be very, very patient. But I would say today, I can't say that I'm 50% better. However, I know that I can control my symptoms, and I know how to control them, and I know who to go to. And honestly, that's been the best kind of treatment that I've been able to get. I still can't run. I still can't go out in the heat. This summer was an absolute, it was terrible because just going outside flares up everything. However, I know what herbs I need to take to combat my migraine, to combat my nerve pain. I know that I'm going through a flare and I only have to deal with the symptoms for maybe a couple of days. And then I talk to my naturopath, we get me on some herbs and those symptoms are gone or at least under control. And if anything, this past year has been huge for just building up my immune system and building up my body's own ability and kind of getting it back to the good equilibrium that I really needed to. I know it sounds weird, but I feel healthier and stronger, even though I'm still having symptoms. And I'm still very hypersensitive to a lot of food. And my diet has definitely been something that I'm still struggling to figure out and deal with. And my digestion is not perfect. However, I am able to go to work during the day. I can 
you know, manage my symptoms and know how to navigate through a flare up and what I need to do for my body, whether it's I need to rest, I cannot overstress myself. I've learned to advocate for myself and put myself first and, you know, kind of be a little bit selfish because ultimately if I don't have my health, you know, I'm nothing. So if I need to miss a social event, if I have to say no to family, they've been so supportive. They understand. And I know that this is going to be a long road because, I mean, I was sick for so long that I I know this isn't going to be done in two days, but I've really built my own education in terms of what's going on and how I can combat it. Lindsay, I think that's a perfect transition to the next area of questions we'd like to ask you about. Can you tell us about how you're now different as a consequence of this journey? Now, I know tick disease journey stuck, but in the end, it seems like there is some beauty that comes out of this experience. Can you share with us what's been positive about this tick disease experience you've had? Yeah. So it's definitely changed my whole mindset about healthcare, about the body, and I've been able to have a more appreciation for life and the little things and not taking them for granted, spending time with family and friends. And I really had this whole symptom flare up thing with Lyme through school and going through my graduate program and learning about the body and learning about all of these symptoms. And as physical therapists, our whole premise is treating the body holistically and treating it in non-invasive ways and learning how you yourself can heal your own body through nutrition, through exercise, and just knowing about what's going on and not just looking at one thing because our whole body is connected. And if you have, you know, one issue in one place, it doesn't mean that that's the only place that the issue is coming from. So, you know, as a physical therapist, we're always taught that if you have a patient complaining of pain in one place, you have to first start centrally. You know, you, you clear the spine, you make sure everything else is going on and nothing else is coming from upwards of the ladder. And I don't think that's how medicine is being approached today. I know there's a movement towards it right now, but right now you go to a doctor and they specialize in one thing. And if you don't fit their one little box, they will just send you on your way or they'll lie to you and continue treating you and knowing that they aren't really treating what's going on internally. You know, they're treating the little symptoms of the headache, take an, take an Excedrin. Oh, you have some fatigue. Oh, here, take some energy boosters or something like that. And what is the main root cause that you're getting all of these symptoms? So yeah, you can name my symptoms and this is what's going on, but like why and why are you going through all of these things? And I've been able to take a new approach to looking at healing and how it is a whole mindset that you have to put yourself in in order to get better. If you think that you're going to be sick, you will be sick. If you think that you're going to be better, you will find a way to get better. That's definitely changed how I even approach my patients in the clinic is how I would want to be treated as a patient. All I wanted when I went to doctors was to be validated and for them to listen to me. And that is exactly what I do to my patients, no matter 
how little the pain is, how little they think that their issues is, is or how big they are. I listen to them and I validate them and I'm empathetic with them because I know how mentally taxing pain is and struggling. And even if it's just a little bit of an inconvenience, that inconvenience can play a significant role in somebody's life. And my goal is to educate patients on what's going on with their body, why this is happening to them. And I know I make a huge connection with my patients and I attribute it all to my whole medical experience. If I didn't go through all the struggles that I did and that I'm currently going through, I would not be able to connect with my patients as well as I do. Now, Lindsay, we'd also like to talk to you about the work that you're doing outside of the work with your patients, because you've also begun to create an outreach program through social media to share your Lyme experience. Can you share with our listeners what motivated you to begin your outreach on social media? Yeah. So I started Instagram just kind of telling my story. And what's interesting is I actually started my Instagram before I was diagnosed with Lyme. And I was really in the thick of my symptoms and I felt very alone. You could be in a room with tons of people, but you feel so, so alone because nobody knows what's going on in in your head and what you're feeling. So I wanted to share with the world. I wanted to connect with people because I knew I was not the only one going through this. But I really had started my Instagram because I had set out on a goal that I was going to make myself healthier and I was going to get active. And I kind of made it as like, I would, you know, go to the gym and I was doing exercises that I thought I could do that were, you know, pain-free and using my knowledge from physical therapy to do low-level exercise. Maybe I wasn't running. And I really started to connect with people through like celiac disease and my IBS. And I know IBS is huge with a lot of people that stomach issues and food is a really, really, really large topic right now in, you know, media too. So I had connected with a lot of people who kind of were going through like some of the same symptoms. And I used the Instagram as like a check-in and to, you know, kind of hold myself accountable because I really thought that I could heal myself and, you know, really get healthy and get stronger. But then it kind of turned into me also sharing my struggles. And like I shared my whole hospital experience and all my doctor's appointments at my GI and then I finally got this Lyme diagnosis and I was able to share it on my Instagram. And then I started making all of these connections with all these people who would reach out to me and say, oh my gosh, I have some of the same symptoms as you. I'm thinking I'm getting, I'm going to get tested for Lyme. Or I also just got diagnosed with Lyme. Like, what do you do? Or who are you seeing? Or just things like, oh my gosh, I've been feeling the same way, you know, when you describe that feeling of like going to the doctor's office and not being heard and, and just being able to share with people how you feel, it makes it so much less lonely. And my, honestly, my mental state, being able to connect with people and knowing that I'm not alone in how I feel and with my symptoms has brought me so much comfort. And optimism for the future because I know that this is going to be a very 
long road. And I knew it from the beginning, but nobody can really prepare you for what it's going to be like. So making the connections on Instagram, listening to podcasts like yours, like all of the different podcasts, especially Dr. Rawls, and just educating myself. It's allowed me to learn from other people, to teach other people, and to really make some amazing friendships that have gotten me through some of the hardest days. So Lindsay, we have one last question for you. One of the things we've come to learn through doing this podcast is that the real experts in the Lyme and the tick disease community are the people whose lives have been changed by this experience. And we see that a number of our podcast guests, very much like you, are helping their patients, they're helping people through outreach on social media, and they just become these very giving people. And what we'd like you to do is give one last piece of advice to the folks who are listening to this podcast if they find themselves in a position where they have a family member who is suffering from a tick bite. So if I called you tomorrow and said, hey, Lindsay, I found a tick biting me on my leg, what advice would you give me? So I would first say, you found a tick, immediately you need to go to the doctor. If you have the tick, bag it and get it to the doctor. If they're not going to take it and get it tested for different diseases, you take that tick back and you send it out to, there's different places you can get it sent out to, to get tested. Make sure that doctor puts you on antibiotics, no matter if you test positive or negative for Lyme. Antibiotics have their, you know, place in medicine. And even if you're not having the symptoms right away, you need to go on them and then continuously monitor their symptoms if they you know start getting some joint pain if they start getting some weird sleep disturbances or weird muscle things go to a Lyme literate doctor and there are so many resources online to find Lyme literate doctors it doesn't have to be a naturopath but just somebody who knows about it can listen to your symptoms and don't think you're crazy it happens and everybody is different. One treatment for Lyme, persistent Lyme, is not the same for the next person. Some people do fantastic on antibiotics. Some people don't. Some people do fantastic on herbal protocols and some people don't. And some people take longer than others. So I would be, I would say be patient and trust the process, but also advocate for yourself because you know your body best. That's why I tell people, you know your body best and don't let the doctors tell you that you're crazy or that this isn't, you know, what's going on. And even if maybe it's not Lyme, it's another tick disease or mold toxicity or sensitivity to something else, don't give up until you feel better because you are worth it. And without your health, you can't, you can't do what you want to do. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with Dr. Lindsay Vaus. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Lindsay Vouse and her tick disease journey, please visit her Instagram at lins, L-A-N-D-S underscore V-O-S-E. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, we here at Tick Bootcamp have created a Tick Bite Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. We would appreciate it if you would contact us with any suggestions you have for improvements. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, or Spotify to get the automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank your listeners for your comments on our past podcast episodes. 
please take a minute to leave us an honest review on iTunes, on Instagram, or on a website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you for listening.